When do you know it's time to go? Salama, a name meaning safety and security, is the name given to our guest today because she shares how she navigated an unsafe situation, not knowing for sure it was time to go, but doing so in order to gain the safety and security that we all need and deserve. Welcome to an episode in our Girl, I've Been There Too series. This series profiles our sisters who have been where you are. They know the stress, pain, confusion, relief, anger, and everything in between that you are feeling about divorce because they've been there too. This is real life and real talk because sometimes that's what we really need. They are sharing their experiences so that you too will know that you are not alone, that your grown girl community is behind you, and that you're grown. You got this. Thank you so much for joining me today. We have agreed that you will remain anonymous during the interview to protect your privacy. But so that our listeners can connect with you a little bit, I'd like for you to share with us just a little bit about you, you know, how old you are, your education and background, if you have any kids and what your perfect Saturday morning looks like. (laughs) Well, thanks, Kim. Um, So I'll just start out with the basics. I am 43. I have three young daughters. Um, through my marriage, we were married for 10 years. Um, you know, I grew up in the Midwest in Ann Arbor. So, um, similar to Chicago, but a lot of diversity kind of, um, a very international community with the university of Michigan being there. Um, my educational background, I grew up through mathematics. Um, I went to Spelman college. I, um, did my master's education at Carnegie Mellon and I've been in the financial industry for, I don't know, 20, 25 years since then. All the things, all the very fun things, but most importantly, what Saturday morning look like for you? What's a good Saturday morning? For you? Ooh, it depends. So now I'm on the other side, like my Saturday <laughs> mornings have changed because every other Saturday morning I'm with my girls and every other one I'm not. So nice. Nice. that's, that's key. And we're going to jump into, into that. Cause I, I hear the buddings of a, you know, parenting schedule discussion, which is important, I think for these conversations, but before kind of getting to that, I, tell me, you know, prior to your own divorce, what experience or exposure did you have to divorce? And I ask this question always because I think it's important for listeners to really understand the background and what you were coming to this process with, if any at all, in terms of exposure or experience. So divorce prior to your own, did you have any experience with divorce? Such a good question. I guess my first exposure or experience with divorce um, would have been my parents' divorce. Um, When I was like 13, 14, kind of just graduating eighth grade, moving into high school. Um, And the irony there was that um, I wanted them to get divorced. You know, like before they did, just because I could see the dysfunction, even as a child, 
you know, I would ask myself questions like, why would you let him talk to you like that? Why would you let him treat you and us like that? You know, so like me and my brother, actually, at one point, we would hide on the top of the stairs and like make um, audio recordings of my parents like arguing, because somehow in our mind, we were like, this is not right. Like we need to have some evidence like they're arguing all the time. So my first experience with divorce was my parents own divorce. Um, And that was fairly ugly, but I was a child. So I didn't really, you know, obviously see it firsthand. Um, And then my brother, my eldest brother, whom I love and look up to, um, he got married when I was probably 20. We were pretty young. Um, And they were married for, I don't know, like 15 years, um, but then they got divorced. And the interesting thing is I always rooted for them to get back together. So on the one hand, as a child, when I saw my parents, like I thought they should be apart because it just didn't seem healthy. Like as I got older, like I realized how much work it really is to keep a marriage together and especially for it to be successful um and to have children but they had kids and I always rooted for them to get back together and eventually they did they remarried so I saw those two experiences but you saw those two experiences before your own and so thinking to your own experience do you think that either of those shaped some of the decisions that you made throughout your divorce um you know I haven't thought about that I I don't think so, though, honestly, like it was like different experiences, but I'm just kind of, no, I don't think so. I think, you know, everything is unique and it has to be really personal to yourself, right? You have to ask yourself some really tough questions and you have to take some tough actions. Yes. Um, So it was more based on like me and my kids and what would be best for us. Okay. Okay. Which is fair. And I think, you know, the fact that you experienced divorce from the perspective of a child and then now as as a woman um, is really interesting in, in thinking about um, the impact or lack thereof that it would have had on you, right, as a child. Um, but then fast forward, being able to say that even in this experience, this was my own experience and it was unique to me because as we know that, you know, every marriage is different and every experience is, is different. Um, and so having Mm -hmm. that as the guiding post to what your own kind of journey has been, I think is really, um, it's really interesting. No, a hundred percent. I would just add one thing, which is, um, frankly, I think my experience of divorce as a child with my parents is what kept me in my marriage, maybe longer than I should have. It was almost the opposite. Yeah. Because I didn't want that for my children because I went through that and felt the hurt and met, you know, waited until I was in my thirties, late thirties, mid to late thirties to have children. Right. Because I wanted to do it in the context of a family, right. And in a marriage. Um, and I didn't want that for my children. I think I stayed too long because actually of that, it had the opposite impact. It would have the opposite impact. I think about often, especially when I, you know, have met with therapist, um, throughout the divorce process and working with clients, you know, and, and I've met with several therapists who have said, it really just depends on the child and, and the impact that is felt. So, you know, we never know as a child who's going through divorce, what they will take away from it. And so it's really interesting to hear that for you, it had the, you know, impact as you developed into someone who's dating and then into marriage of maybe I'm getting, you know, staying in this space because I went through 
um, as a child, a divorce, whereas others might have been very much of a, I know what this looks like and therefore I've got to go because I don't want my kids to to go through this as well. Um, so I say all that because I think, you know, especially for mothers going through the divorce, you can only do so much. We can't control everything. And when you think about this process, one of the things that you mentioned was, you know, thinking about what's best for you and the kids, you know, I think oftentimes we think about things in terms of what's best for the kids, but I like that you added the, what's also best for me, because that I think is oftentimes the guidepost. Um, No, that's right. And you know what, Kim, I would just share, like there was this one story and this one experience. So one of my best friends, um, who was the godmother to my girls, I was having this conversation with her and it was about her spiritual journey and about her healing. Right. And she was kind of sharing with me about her stuff. And just like through that conversation, somehow I just was like, you know what, kudos to you. Like, I so admire you for like getting to know yourself better and pursuing like your true self, your whole self. Right. And like, what's truly happiness for you. And I was like, for me, I think maybe in like 10 or 15 years, I can do that. And she was like, wait a minute, what? Like, why would you delay? Like, there's no reason. Like, what do you mean? You know? And I started sharing with her a little bit more about what was happening in my marriage and like how I was feeling and just where the space that I was in. And she like started crying and she was like, girl, no, she was like, you can't do that shit for your kids alone. Like in 10 years, you're going to be dead on the inside. Like you're not going to have anything to actually offer those girls. So like, please do not put yourself that far back, you know, in line, like you need to be at the front of the line because you need to be taking care of my cat kids. And like, if you think that you can delay and defer your happiness for 15 years and you're still going to be like the Jenica that I know and love, like it doesn't work that way, you know? And I just will never forget that conversation. Like she kind of jolted me into like, oh my God, you know, and this is before, you know, cause I hadn't been thinking about divorce at all. Right. Like I literally had like, just told myself like, whatever I'm doing this, like, I felt like I was going to pay my time or like, like I was in jail or something. It's like that Jennifer Hudson song. <laughs> yes. I, I, I'm, I'm biding my time. I'm under this spotlight, but I'm, I'm biding my time and just waiting it out until God knows when. And in most cases, until the kids go out of the house and she was like, no, you will not be yourself. You're going to be a dead body. You're going to be a shell of yourself. You sound crazy right now. It's true. You know, people think that I'm kidding. When I say they tell you on the airplane, put your oxygen mask on first and they say it for a reason. And this is the same thing, which is you got to take care of yourself first in order to be able to help someone else. And in this situation, your children. So good for her for saying to you, Hey, you won't be the you if you keep kind of pushing down your happiness, your fulfillment, your joy, because you keep pushing that down and all of a sudden it's gone. And you look up 10, 15, 20 years later, there's nothing to pull back from. So I love that she was like, uh, get it together. This is important, but that's a hard thing to hear sometimes and to, to experience and realize. So tell me, you know, we know that hindsight is 2020. When you look back on your marriage in the early stages of the marriage, were there things in the marriage that you think you ignored, not about the relationship between the two of you, but ignored about how you were feeling 
about oh, the relationship. <clears throat> yeah. It wasn't even that I ignored it. I think I acknowledged it, but I questioned it, right? Like I, I wasn't sure if that was my guidepost, if it was real, because he would tell me frequently, you know, pretty disparaging comments, right? And it like made me question myself. So like, yeah, I had the feelings and I had the questions, but I, I couldn't anchor on that because I would question myself. I doubted myself. Did you give any thought to going through whether individual or couples counseling? Was that something? Did both. Okay. Did both. I did. Um, well, I did. In, well, at the beginning, we did couples counseling just as a part of like starting off in a new union, right? In a marriage, whatever. He had been married before. Um, I found out later he had been married twice before. So it was actually his third marriage. Um, okay. But for me, just learning how to operate as a couple, like I got married at 32. I had had at least, you know, my whole life living as an individual. So that was important to me. So we did go through couples counseling. Um, and then later I went through individual counseling. Um, and then, you know, as the years went on, I saw the need for more therapy, like couples counseling, yeah. but he was not with it. Like I begged him for years and he was like, yeah, no, I think he wouldn't do it. Many couples deal with that same thing where at some point it becomes, we're having the same conversations over and over again. And either we stop having the conversations or we hit this realization of, you know, we're going into, into separate spaces. So yeah, like it was a dance. Yeah. We knew the dance far too well. <laughs> you know? And I didn't want to do that dance anymore. <laughs> so, so to that, at what point did you decide, I don't want to do the dance? Well, that's the funny thing is like the dance I was doing was not healthy for me. I mean, my girlfriend, we talked about the conversation. She told me like, you know, kind of stamped me out of it, but, um, I would have done the dance forever. Um, it was actually violence. It was domestic violence. And he just did something that was so far out of left field, like just so out of bounds that I felt that I didn't have a choice. And so that was another like moment. It was just like a snap moment. And I knew like, I just, I can't do this. There's no way this is good for my kids. Right. Like it took away the excuses that I had given it before. Okay. You know? And so I was jolted into this awakening of like, oh my God, I don't have a choice. And so I was very angry at him. I didn't want a divorce. I would have stayed forever. Um, as I mentioned, I was unhappy, you know, had I either been stronger or more whatever, like I probably would or should have left him. I don't know, but it wasn't that it was just this one instant and I couldn't unsee that. I couldn't forget what he did to me. Sure. And, and I think honestly, had it been another woman, I probably would have like, I don't know. I just think I, I was weakened at that point. I probably would have put up with a lot of shit, but that was just too far. Well, and here's the thing. I think everybody knows their line, right? So I think everybody has a line and it should go without saying that domestic violence should always be the line. But we also know that sometimes it isn't. And, you know, whether good, bad, or indifferent, I, you know, have to take the moment to say that safety should always come first. And so if one is in an unsafe relationship or space, you got to get help. You got to get out because things become worse. Um, but putting that piece aside, I think there are likely a lot of women who are listening who are like, well, it's not 
domestic violence for me. It maybe it is the affair or maybe it is the gaslighting or maybe it's just, I'm unhappy. And so I'll just kind of stay. And so having that same conversation with yourself in saying, at what point is it enough? And I think only the individual can, can answer for themselves. Exactly. And you know, what surprised me is like, the gaslighting, the unhappiness, you know, the put downs and the way that he treated me, like, you know, in public, I was the trophy wife. He's like, you're beautiful. You're successful. Like, I love parading you around. You make me look good. But in private, he put me down, like down, like so bad, you know, like so, so down. And like, for a long time, I think, and still even I'm working through that is like, did I not love myself enough? You know, like, why did I put up with that? Like, why did it take him going to that extreme for me to walk away? I feel like maybe if I had been a stronger woman, I probably would have walked away when I should have. And I could have avoided, you know, that hurt and that danger to my own health. But um, honestly, the thing that surprised me was even through all of that, like, after I left him, and by the way, the police dragged him out of the house um, and he never walked back in. But after that, I thought I would miss him. I didn't miss him once, Kim. Like, that was a crazy thing. Like, that was what shocked me into reality. It was like, you have been unhappy for a long time. Like, you don't even miss this man, right? Like, I cried. I was devastated. I didn't eat. I didn't sleep. I had nightmares. Like, I was so unhealthy. I was so devastated, but it wasn't because I missed him, right? Yeah. It was because my family fell apart. It was because I was angry at him because I felt like he stole my future. Like we had plans. We were building a family. Like it was that. It wasn't actually him. Like I didn't actually miss him. The part about him not being around me, like I felt lighter. I felt like I didn't have to walk on eggshells anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I felt like I could actually be me. Like I felt before, like I had to dim my shine and dim my light in order for his ego not to get fractured, you know? So I felt like stronger. I felt like better. I felt more whole, which, and that was the thing that shocked me. Like I it's, it's weird to say, but I had both feelings at the same time. Like I was completely devastated. Like literally I was not eating or sleeping or doing anything to keep you alive, but some piece of me like felt better. I felt more whole. And like, that was the piece that I held on to, And that really like propelled me forward there was a piece of you in there that was trying to regain whatever strength. And so I think that's something that at its core, we all have to find and hang on to. So no matter what is going on around us, it really is about trying to find that piece because that's the piece that's going to push you through and sustain you through what arguably maybe the toughest process in one's life and, and that being a divorce. So here you are jolted into this reality and into this process. Tell me then you referenced, you know, we've had police involved, you have little children. I'm then assuming that both of you then immediately at some point lawyered up. And so now we're talking about the process really going from what zero to a hundred right away. Yeah, no, you're right. Just based on the fact that, um, yeah, I mean, he was arrested for domestic violence. Right. And um, so that was one criminal case and situation. Um, and that was what made me start to consider, you know, the divorce process. 
Um, and so that followed, but that's like two different judges, two different cases. Like it's totally different. Um, so there were a lot of lawyers involved. It got expensive super fucking quickly. Um, you know, I had amazing counsel and lawyers, but um, there was something that I learned through the process, which is like the value of mediation and trusting yourself. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, so we can get to that. But yeah, there were lawyers and he had like a scumbag lawyer, right? <laughs> Who like did not respect the law, did not respect the truth. I mean, it was ugly. It was disastrous. Like, yes. And, and we went through that space. Like I stayed in that space for like a whole entire year, at least like 12 whole months. It can get there. Right. And, and, and very quickly. So I think it's, you know, very important for people to understand that that space can, and in space, I mean, the, the litigation and having lawyers once you're in that process, you really are doing a handoff because now you've, you know, handed over everything to the mouthpiece that is supposed to be your lawyer. And depending on, you know, the type of lawyer that you have hired or the type of lawyer that your spouse has hired, the direction of your case oh can dramatically change. It, it absolutely can. It was super frustrating. Um, the judge never hears from you directly. You're like, you know, she's asking the lawyer or in my case, the judge was a woman. And so she's like asking the lawyers questions and like, he might answer them inaccurately and not because he meant to, right. but because he doesn't know, right? Like he's, like you said, your mouthpiece. And so then it spins it to the left and I'm texting him furiously, like, no, take it back. That was inaccurate. No, I want this other thing, but it is what it is. Right. right. And then like, there's a whole other court date, but then it's a whole month later. And so it moves super slow. It does not move in the direction of travel that you would take it had you been on your own. And I am not advocating to be your own counsel. Don't get me wrong at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cause that would have been even worse. But um, yeah, it was really, really, really the litigious process. I mean, it's no bueno. I no. do not recommend that at all. It's not, it's not for a host of reasons. But one of the things that you were mentioning was, you know, here you've got someone who unintentionally are representing you. And, and I think as a black woman, it's so, so, so critical how we are represented, how our children are represented, especially in spaces where, whether it's the judge or the lawyers or the child representative or all of these other people who can be involved may or may not be black. And not, that isn't to say that you should only be represented by a black person. That's not, that's not my sentiment, but what it is to say is that we can very easily be stereotyped our children yeah. and their experiences, how we come off can very easily be labeled as, you know, angry black woman, and, and so I think it's so important that when you are engaged in the legal process, that you do find somebody who can authentically represent you, because as you said, the judge isn't speaking to you. They are. All. And if you speak, you judge. will get reprimanded. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, it's you really need to make sure that you are connecting with somebody who is going to represent you speak on your behalf because they truly are speaking, speaking for you. 
When you think then about the process and the time and money that it spent, you, you mentioned mediation and you talked about, you know, finding your voice and being able to really speak up for yourself. Tell me what you mean by that and why you sure. think that was the better angle for you, even sure. despite everything. Well, and I think like, yes, there was this criminal aspect. There was the litigation, you know, the judge, the attorneys, the different trials and cases, but like beneath it all, him and I were partners, right? Like we had been for more than a decade and underneath it all, like I felt like if I could just talk to him beneath the pain and we could just have like a normal adult conversation, like maybe we can work through this. Like not that we were going to get back together, but like, let's just be adults and do it for the benefit of the children. Um, And so at the very beginning, I demanded to my attorney, I was like, we need to find a way to talk with him. He was like, fuck no, there's a criminal case. You cannot talk to him. Sorry if I'm swearing. I know. It's okay. For your podcast, sorry. (laughs) But like my attorney was basically like, no, I strongly recommend against that. And that was where I was like, no, you work for me. This is what I want. This is what I think is what's going to be best. And so he orchestrated it. And that's one thing of advice like now, and I'll share a little bit more of my story is like, they do work for you. You have to make sure that they represent you. Right. And as much as like, you're saying like, they have to do what you think is right. And so we got on the zoom and it was myself, my counsel, now my ex-husband and his counsel. And we had this whole zoom, you know, and it ended up like, you know, arguing and like my attorney hung up on the other attorney, whatever. But like, we had that moment to talk and honestly, like my case resolved in the exact same way. Like my attorney kept telling me like, Hey, he's like not listening to you. He's an idiot. He doesn't take reason. You just basically have to trust me. And I was like, fuck that. I know this guy. I know the buttons to push. I know how he operates. I know how he thinks. I know how to work through him. So like in the end, it was me taking matters into my own hands, which I printed out the fucking agreement that we had and was like, you're going to sign this now, you know? So in the end, it was actually me like forcing the issue that got the deal closed. Right. I would have probably gone through a whole entire extra year of lawyers and lawyers fees. And they're super happy. You get a bill for 10 grand for 20 grand for 30 grand each month, like on a monthly basis, like, that would have continued for a whole nother year. But like, I just think that the same thing about empowering yourself. And like, I think about it when I'm in the doctor's office, like you have to be an advocate for yourself. Like you really need to take that stand in this space. Absolutely. I've practiced divorce for a very long time. And one of the things that I pride myself on telling clients, this is your divorce. Yes, you have hired me for my advice, for my direction, but you have to be invested. You have to be in control. And frankly, you have to be aware. And so your ability to say, despite everything that's going on, hold on a minute. This is what needs to happen. This is the direction that we need to go in is huge because it changed the trajectory of your case. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that if you're working with a lawyer and they're saying, listen, this is the strategy we need to go down because we've got this judge and here's what the judge is looking at. Or based on what we've already tried, maybe this doesn't 
going to work. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I don't want people to think that's like the good advice that that's you right. need to take. Like that's why you hire counsel. That's why right? you hire counsel. But, but that said, don't have what I call ostrich syndrome, which is your head is stuck in the sand. You have to know what's going on. You have to advocate for yourself. And at some point you have to really ask yourself the tough question, which is, is this going in the direction that makes the most sense? And if not, how can I take back some of this control so that, so that it works for everybody. You, I love that you said control. I'm sorry to jump in because honestly, like that was the hardest part for me. Like I went through this for like a year. I had just gotten a new job. I was leading like the global department. I had 1700 people reporting to me. It was COVID. It was the pandemic. Like I couldn't even meet them in person. Like I was working like all the time. Like I was working like 18 hour days. But at the same time, I had these court dates and these lawyer calls, you know, and stuff like you're not in control of like when the judge can see you, like I would have to move meetings and do, and like, I would be in tears, like fully like breaking down. But then it was like, okay, put yourself back together and like go to work or whatever. But like that thing about control, I love you said that like people, I think that one thing I didn't realize is like, you're not in control when it goes to litigation. That's right. At all. Your voice is not heard. You're not speaking. Like the judge doesn't want to hear shit from you. You get chastised if you accidentally speak up. Like there's zero control. So I feel like mediation is such a stronger path to get what you think and know is best for your family. It's like, I would always a thousand percent advocate for mediation. Do not go towards litigation if you can help it. If you can help it. In you, If you can help it. And here's the thing. Even... The high conflict, acrimonious in cases of domestic violence, if you can find a path to dispute resolution that allows you to have some level of control back in the process, the outcome is going to be much better than going through the litigation process. Because as you mentioned, you lose 100% of the control when your case is turned over into somebody else's hands. And that's both related to family and finances. It's mm-hmm. everything. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I think it's really important that people know that they have options. You should ask about your options. Not everybody knows about divorce mediation. That is a, it's a viable option for most families. It's cost-effective. I mean, I had no idea what it was, but yeah, I mean, you can go for a day or two, like eight hours straight. Like we sat down, um, at this retired judge's office for basically like eight or 10 hours straight. And we walked through every aspect of both the parenting allocation, as well as the financial aspects of mediation. And we got through it in one day, which is like crazy, right? Like when you're in court, it would take you one year to get through what we did in one day. Uh, yeah. No question. And about the it. judges don't give a shit. Like the stuff that they would say to me, like stuff that my ex and I, like, like we agreed on the fact that like we were going to raise our children with a certain lifestyle, right? Which is why we bought the house that we live in or why we put them in the schools that they're in. Like stuff that we actually agree on yes. and hold dearly. The judges look at us and they're like, you're rich. You can just sell your fucking house. Like, I don't care where you live. Just right. split the money in half. You know what I mean? It's stuff like that. We're like, you could actually work it out, even though you and your spouse are at loggerheads, like in a better way than like some extraneous, like third party person just looks at your balance sheet is like, you got money, you ain't got no problems, whatever, you right. know, and that would like blow up my whole life. Like that would affect up everything. Well, 
But here's the thing, you have to keep these things in context, right? They're seeing hundreds of cases and hundreds of people coming through the door. They know you for 10, 15 minutes. And if your case is at trial, they're learning your case in real time. And so, you know, they're making the decisions based on the black letter of the law, but they're also people too, meaning that, you know, their response is, what are you whining about? I just had four. Right. I just looked at your balance sheet. Yeah. You got $3 million. I don't That's give a fine. shit. Next. You know, That's like they don't care. That they're, It's a very different space, which is, again, going to, if you can resolve it in a way that makes the most sense for you and your family, then do that um, because the outcome will be certainly much better. So you're now divorced. You went through this process. When you think about the divorce process, what surprised you the most about the process? Maybe I'll go in chronological order. I think the first thing that surprised me was what we talked about with control, uh, the lack of control. You have zero control. Um, It's your life. It's your family. It's literally probably the most emotional, personal, private, intimate, like space for you, but there's all these extraneous people and it's not private or intimate for them. It's work. It's business. Right. So like that surprised me. It's like, oh my God, like my whole personal life is now like just, you know, up for grabs. Um, You have no control. So that surprised me. Um, You know, one thing, and maybe this is just a personal thing to me, but what also surprised me is that although we went through such an acrimonious year, the second we actually finally signed the agreement and the decree was done and we got a divorce, like a huge weight was lifted. Like now we're actually great co-parents. You know, he travels, I travel, like we cover for each other. You know, it's like all the shit that we fought about, about how much time are you going to get? How much money am I going to get? All that, like we work together really nicely. It was like something about the weight of like the lawyers and that process being behind us, like allowed us to work much more effectively together. That's great. I, Thank God. So I mean, levels. seriously. Yeah. I'll take a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is because here's the thing, you know, going through that process is a lot, right? So here you are now on the other side, but you know that you are connected to your former spouse because you have children. And so you have to have some relationship on a going forward, which is nice that you've now kind of found a rhythm that works and getting beyond the process. It has allowed the two of you to kind of find that rhythm to make it, to make it work for your, for your children. That's right. And I think like the only thing I would add is just that the way that I found that rhythm, like it was bumpy you know, a little bit. And I'm still kind of new to this. Like I'm nine months in our, our, our divorce was finalized at the beginning of this year. We're now in September, you know, he left a year before that, but I realized that the space of our conversations, like it's productive when we talk about the kids, it's productive when we're talking about money, but like, if we're talking about anything else, like if he tries to bring up our marriage, he went through this time where he begged me to come back to him. Like, do not engage, do not indulge in any of those conversations because that will take you right back to that acrimony, you know? And so like, that's what I realized. I'm like, I keep him in this lane and that's cool. Like we're in the co-parent lane. Let's do that. Boom. But like all that other shit, you just have to put it to the side. Like don't indulge, don't engage, don't do anything. It's like picking a scab. Like just don't do it. Like don't do it. 
<laughs> let it that. heal. That's right. That's right. That's right. Either pick a lane and we stay in this lane because once you start trying to change over, then you, you really start going. Yes. And it's hard. Like sometimes he'll send me these crazy ass texts about like, Oh, reconsider the merits of marriage. Like it's better for the kids. And like, you're being selfish and you're only thinking about yourself and you should just bring the family back together. Like he says all this crazy shit literally Kim, I just ignore it. Like I read the text and then I, I don't respond to it. I like literally nothing. And then a couple days later, inevitably he'll have to text me like, Oh, Hey, what time are you picking up the kids? And then I respond to that one. And, and you respond to that one right away, you know? And like, that's how like, you know, you have you to train it. yourself. You have you to train. I just like completely just disregard. Yes. Yes. You know, a lot of parents have found that some co-parenting apps are helpful because the thought was, well, you know, then we'll really focus on, on parenting issues. And I would say whatever works, right? So if you have the ability to look at a text and say, okay, let me scan this to see if there's something in here that I absolutely have to respond to because it absolutely deals with the kids. Great. If not, it's okay. Then I don't need to respond to this one because in a couple of days we do need to talk about, Hey, tennis is, later than yep. we expected or got canceled. And I'll, I'll address that. It's about setting boundaries, right? It's about setting and maintaining That's those right. boundaries and finding what works for you. So what do you think got you through the divorce process? Honestly, I think it was the kids. I think, it, I think like, it's so funny what I've learned about myself is that, um, and you talked about boundaries, which are so important. It's like, and this is not something I'm like proud of, but what I've learned about myself is that I'll disappoint myself, okay. but I won't disappoint others. Like people who are counting on me, like, it's like weird. Like I will show up for my team at work. I will show up for my kids. I know they need me. So like every day I had to get up, I had to work. I had a six o'clock meeting, 6 a.m. meeting, you know, my kids had to go to school. Like that was it. Like had it just literally been me, I probably would have like laying around in misery, Okay. You know, and, and it's fucked up, but like, and that's the thing about boundaries is like, I feel like I want to do work to strengthen my own boundaries. Right. So I can show up for myself, but like I show up for other people. Like that's what I learned. That's what got me through it. It was the kids and it was my team at work. And when I was at work, I could not think about this other stuff that would tear me down, you know? So like, it was a pleasant distraction. I was contributing to society. I was helping my team. I was making money, which I knew was super important for my kids again now, but I, it was others. I did it for others. That's what got me through it. Even my friend, she was like, I don't know how you get up every day. Like I actually get up for them, not for me. Whatever it takes. I know. And I'm not proud to say that. I actually feel like I probably need a little bit of therapy to work through that because I should be valuable too, but it's true. I did it for them. But sometimes, you know, we have to work through those things. Right. But so in, and look, I've got, that's the same reason I would have stayed in that marriage forever. Yeah. Right. Cause I wasn't going to do it for myself. And that's the thing. I think that's the hardest part as, as moms, we think about sometimes we'll do things for our kids before we do it for ourselves. And it's really about kind of figuring out when did that change happen? Right. When did I stop showing up for myself in the way that I show up for my kids or in the way that I show up for, for coworkers. And this process oftentimes spotlights that because yes, through the process, you pushed yourself to be like, okay, I can't 
lay around. I can't. So, but for them, I may have still been in this relationship, but for them, Mm -hmm. I may, you know, be laying on the floor and, and not doing what needs to be done. We are so grateful and thankful for them. But at this point, right on a going forward, it's the lesson learned of like, okay, I know I can show up for them because I always do. Now it's about defining and and showing up for myself um, as as we go forward. So speaking of going forward, tell me post-divorce life, you're nine months out. How are things? Um, They're really great. I would say they're going well. And I mean, I would say it's definitely a roller coaster. There's been ups and downs. Um, Although the divorce was final in January of this year, he left in January of the year prior. So it was like a whole year of darkness, like super darkness, like the blackest black of my life. I felt like I was in the briar patch, like, and I was just doing my best to like hold like these big thistle bushes off of my kids, you know? So I was like taking all the hits and like taking all the thorns so that they wouldn't have to, you know? So I really went through a lot. Like it was a struggle. And then like, you know, finally the divorce was final and I felt like things were going to get better and I could focus on work. I could focus on family. Um, you know, there was a point maybe like 18 months after he left the house and my girlfriend came over and she was like, you're too young. You are too beautiful. You're too fine to be sitting around like all lonely and shit. Like, please, I need you to get out of the house. Like, I really need you to get up and get out of the house. I was like, oh my God, no, I'm an old maid. Like I'm divorcee. I got these three young kids. Like don't nobody want me, you know? (laughs) So depressed. I was so depressed. And she was really like, no bitch. Like I'm gonna need you to get up off this couch. Like now. (laughs) We all need a friend like that who comes in the door. No bitch. She was like, yeah, no, I'm dragging you up at this house one way or the other. And she couldn't get me out of the house. So the best she could do was she put me on Bumble. She was like, fuck it, we're going to make a page for you. We're going <laughs> to... It was crazy, Kim. Like, I, I didn't, you know, I still, like, I'm not in the space of, like, I don't want a relationship. I just want to, like, live, you know? Like, I want to have my life. I want to be in my body. I want to be happy. Like, I'm going to have new experiences. Um, and so I've been able to find my happiness there. Good, good. That, I think, just finding oneself again, the, and the excitement of doing that is what we all want in, not just in life, but certainly after divorce, it's truly the, how do I find my way back to myself as I, Mm -hmm. as I move forward in this new uncharted territory? Uncharted. I mean, it had been a dozen years since I talked to like any man, right. Other than my husband. And so I was like, But the reality is like, you're still you, all the things that drew your husband to you, all the things that you've invested in yourself. Like I went out there again and I relearned. I was like, oh yeah, I am sexy. Like, you know, like people do desire me. I do have stuff to offer. Like all this shit that he was telling me and the gaslighting, like that was actually like lies. Like, and so it took me getting out in social life. And I'm not just saying interactions with men, but just with people to like reprove again, all the stuff I knew about myself. So I think like to a certain extent, like getting back out there, it like helps grow and reestablish yourself and your self-confidence. You know, it's like, 
Yeah, you're, that's yourself. Like maybe one person in my situation was treating me poorly and whatever. And But then it's like, you just have to get back out there again because the further you sit on your ass, like you're going to put yourself deeper and deeper and deeper into a hole. You just have to like stand out and go out. I love it. I, I love it. I love that you, you've been so willing to share today and, and your honesty and, you know, the aspects of vulnerability, I think is truly tremendous because there are women facing this process right now, considering this process right now and being able to hear there's life on the other side um, and knowing that if nothing else, there's someone who went through it, um, I, I think is, is beyond impactful to one's life. And so I'd love for you to share, you know, what do you tell the woman listening right now about getting through a divorce that you wish that someone had told you mm. or something that somebody did tell you? Yeah. No, amen. First of all, I think the work that you're doing is so impactful and so incredible um, because it's like a conversation about miscarriage. Like people don't have these conversations, you yeah. know, and it's something that women go through all the time, but it's not really a conversation, Kim. So I just salute you and think it's really incredible, you know, the work that you're doing to get this conversation out here. Um, the thing that I would say, which was interesting, nobody told me this. I kind of figured it out or just you know, myself from going through it is like, while we were going through the divorce, there's this whole custody battle. And it's like, oh my, who's going to get this time with the kids? Who's going to get that time with the kids and whatever. Like I happened to be the primary parent, right? Throughout our marriage. And I still am, but I do have to give away my children for times to be with their father. Right. So they go over there every other weekend. Um, they have dinners with him every Monday and Tuesday, you know, so two days a week, they're over there after school. And then every other weekend they're over there. And then during the summer, they go there every other week. So we actually share them like 50% during the summer. Um, but they live with me primarily during the year. But the thing that I would say that surprised me is like, it was so hard for me to give up that time. Cause those are my babies and I love them. And it like hurt me so much to think about them away from me. Yes that's the space where I found myself. Like now I'm so happy. Like I actually do get a weekend free. Yeah. Like, even though I was married and there were two parents, I never chose to like, just go out and do self-care on yes. the weekend. I would hang out and be with my kids and my husband, yeah. you know? And so like what I found on the other side of that, it's like a forced way to have like self-care and to dial back into yourself. And so like, yes. as much as I was fighting about how much time to, or to not have with the children, the thing that like really shocked me and that I just think is, a positive that I revel in is like, you get that time for self-care back. Like that time when your children are away, like you're so blessed if you actually have a father who will take care of the kids, yes. let him be with the kids, take that as a blessing, count that as a blessing and go to you, you know, whether that's traveling, going to the spot, laying your ass in bed and doing a Netflix and chill, like brunch with a friend, which we're overdue for brunch. Yes. yes. <laughs> Whatever that is. But that was what surprised me is like, I was clinging on so hard to them, but in that space, when they weren't there, I was like, wow, like I refound myself in that space too. I could not agree more. And I love, love, love that you have experienced that realization because that is one of the hardest things for most mothers 
But then once you're in that space, you realize what in many ways, dare I say, a gift it is, it is. to be able to truly have that time not that you don't miss the children, not that, but it it gives you this time to really focus on yourself and doing something for you that we don't as mothers often always have. And so I, I am so thrilled to hear that you have realized that in, in terms of an experience and that have been able to lean into it. And yes, brunch is always <laughs> always a thing. Um, but thank you so, so much, um, for joining me. You know, I, I cannot say enough how important it is that we share these stories, especially as black women, because the divorce narrative that is out in society does not look like us, does not cater to us and our experiences are very different through this process, even though the legal process is, and I'm going to put it in quotes, technically the same. Giving Technically, <laughs> yeah. But like the responses are different. And I know we're wrapping up, but I mean, even from when I called the police on my husband, because he strangled me, the way that the police responded to me is very different than the yeah. way they probably would have responded to a white woman, right? The way that the judge responded to me, again, she laughed at me like, Psh, you got money, you're fine. You can sell your house, your kids. It doesn't matter if they move. It doesn't matter what trauma that puts them through, you know? So it is very different, the experiences we go through. And I just love that you're bringing these stories to the forefront. So thank you so much for having me and for doing this. Of course, of course. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast. Remember, though you may be going through a difficult time, you're grown and you got this. Please be sure to tell your girlfriends about us. Follow us on Instagram at Grown Girl Divorce and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss out on any new conversations. The conversations on this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to substitute working directly with a lawyer. These episodes are not to be used as a basis to support or defend any legal action and transcripts or recordings of the podcast may not be used for any purpose without the direct written permission of the podcast owner.